Welcome to the Inside Scoop Live podcast, where indie authors get personal about their books, their writing, and their passions. I'm your host, Sherry Hoyt. Join me for some lively conversations with debut indie authors and seasoned veterans alike. It's a great place to find your next amazing read or even get inspired. So sit back and enjoy the show and let me know what you think. Hi, everyone. Rob Grindstaff joins me today to talk about his latest novel, Slade. It's a literary satire novel of how one man overcomes trauma by writing a best-selling book that becomes a hit movie and elevates him to the status of reluctant guru to Hollywood elite. Before we get started, here's the inside scoop on the author. In addition to a career as a newspaper editor, publisher, and manager, Rob Grindstaff has written fiction most of his life. The newspaper biz has taken him and his family from Phoenix, Arizona, to small towns in North Carolina, Texas, and Wisconsin, from seven years in Washington, D.C., to five years in Asia. Born and raised a small-town kid, he's as comfortable in Tokyo or Tuna, Texas. His novels are best classified as contemporary Southern lit, and he's had more than 20 short stories published in a wide array of genres. His articles on the craft of fiction writing have appeared in various writer magazines and websites, and one of his seminars was presented at the Sydney Australia Writers' Festival. He's also taught several writing courses and edits fiction and nonfiction books for authors around the world. Rob retired from the newspaper business in the summer of 2020 to write and edit fiction full-time. He and his wife relocated to the beautiful Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri. You can learn more about Rob and his work at www.robgrindstaff.com. Well, hi, Rob. Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. Hi, and thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, your book captured our attention through the Feathered Quill Book Awards program, which we sponsor, and then we ultimately awarded your book Slade with the Reviewer's Choice Award. And so I've been looking forward to talking with you ever since. So, you know, I can't wait to hear all about Slade, but let's kind of start with your background. Can you tell us a little bit about your writing journey? Certainly. I've been writing all my life, you know, as a kid and reading, writing, you know, making up stories, whatever the case was, <laughs> and uh, went to college to major in English so I could become a writer. And one of those few good decisions you make as a teenager, <laughs> I decided to add journalism as a double major with English. Uh, and that was just so I could get a day job until I wrote the great American novel and became rich and famous. <laughs> and 40 years later, I retired from the newspaper business. So that uh, you know took me a different route. Uh, but I never really stopped writing fiction. I think I was in my 40s when a novel idea and a character came to me and, and I really just dug into writing a novel and found out how much I needed to learn. Um, and then it's it's gone from there. I now have four novels published by Evolved Publishing, and I have about 20 or so short stories out in the world. Wow, wow, that's amazing. So it's a little different, I would imagine, writing for newspaper versus writing fiction. It is. It's a different writing style, but there's a lot of overlap mm. between the two, you know, in the nuts and bolts of it. You know, if you're writing for a newspaper, for example, uh, you still have to capture the reader's attention in the first paragraph. And then you have to structure the story so that it draws the reader in and keeps them all the way to the end of the story, even if they have to turn the page to read the rest of it. Mm-hmm. So, and and there's a lot of, uh, you know, if you look over history, there's a lot of journalists who became fiction authors. You know, Charles Dickens, 
was a journalist. Oh, wow. Ernest Hemingway, uh, Mark Twain, uh, and in the modern days, too, of course. Yeah. So what is Slade about? Can you tell us a little bit about the storyline? The short version, the logline is Slade is an unlikely celebrity with a self-help book who becomes a reluctant spiritual guru to the Hollywood elite, and that spawns a cult that he wants nothing to do with. A little bit longer explanation is Slade's, you know, an everyday guy growing up in Fort Worth, Texas. In his 20s, he's in a major car accident, a very, very traumatic situation, uh, severely injured. And he winds up writing a book about overcoming trauma. Mm. Uh, that you know becomes a bestseller. So I guess I was writing about my own hopes and goals. Uh, <laughs> that he re- Slade wrote a book that becomes a bestseller and then becomes a Hollywood blockbuster movie, uh, and just propels him into the limelight. And everybody starts coming to him for advice on life. And is it then it spirals out of control from there? Some think he's uh, you know he's called the shaman to the stars. Some think he's uh, you know just almost a religious figure. Others are not so enamored with him and think he's more of a Svengali type uh, Rasputin <laughs> character uh, who controls and manipulates his clients. And, of course, there's one disillusioned former fan who spends years plotting revenge. Mm, of course. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that storyline. It's so original to me. What inspired it and how did you come up with an idea like that? Oh, that's always a good question. You know, where do the ideas come from? Um, I'm the guy who, when I lay down in bed at night, I fall asleep. You know, 60 seconds, five minutes uh, really irritates my wife <laughs> that I can fall asleep so quickly. But one night, I'm laying there, and I, I just thinking about this character that popped into my head. Uh, I didn't know what the story was. I just kept thinking about this character and thinking about him, and he just was talking to me in my head. I know they make medication to help with that sort of thing. But I got up about three in the morning and thought, you know, I need to write this down because there might be a story here. And if I fall asleep, I may not remember it tomorrow. So I got up at three o'clock in the morning and just started writing notes. And it went from there. The story just kind of unfolded over time. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about Slade? What motivated him after being in such a severe accident so young in life? I don't know, if that happened to me, I would just like crawl under the bed and just never come out, you know? So what yeah. what motivated Slade to to do all the things that he did with his life? Well, without, I guess, giving away too many plot spoilers, mm-hmm. um, you know, with the accident and his experiences after that, you know, months of surgery, being in a coma for a while, uh, when he came out of that, his main question was, why did I survive? Is there a reason? Mm. And, you know, why did somebody else not survive? You know, and so you get the survivor's guilt in there. You know, he's laid up in bed for months. And so he just has all these thoughts roaming around in his head. And so he just starts writing to to get them all down and try to figure out the meaning of life, if you will, to get to the, a deeper theme uh, for Slade was, you know, what what's his purpose in life? Why did he survive? And... Can he use that to help others? Mm, okay. And then just writing about events like that is also therapeutic. So that was motivating as well. Yeah, that was his initial motivation was just the, the therapeutic aspect of writing it all down. Yeah. 
I love how you wrote the story. Now, a reviewer commented on it. She said that the interview method kind of creatively allowed a, a deeper character reader relationship for her. What prompted you to write the story in this manner? And what did she mean by that deeper connection? Do you know what she's talking about when she says that? I think so. We'll start with the structure of the book and how that came about. I did not set out to write a novel that was composed entirely of interviews with the characters. I had this character in my head. He kept talking and I kept taking notes. Um, I also am a fiction editor and a writing instructor and writing coach for Mm -hmm. other fiction authors. I've done that for about 15 years. And one piece of advice was passed on to me years ago, and I passed it on to others, although I'd never used it myself, was to interview your characters as a way to get to know them. Mm. Not to use the interviews in your book, but just to you know, form that deeper connection between the writer and the character. And because this character just kept talking, and I thought it was really intriguing, but I didn't know the story, I thought, well, I'm going to try that technique, and I'm going to interview him. And then he would mention another character, maybe his brother. So I would interview the brother. Then I would learn something more about the story from interviewing the brother. So I'd go back and interview Slade. He'd mention his wife. So I'd go interview her. All of this was supposed to be raw material for me to figure out what the story is. And about 40,000 words into it, it just kind of hit me that this might work uh, in this fashion. It needed a lot of work, a lot of editing and revisions, and needed some more interviews and more background material. When I kind of pulled it together and sent it to a group of really trusted test readers, beta readers, Mm -hmm. uh, some of whom are writers and some aren't. They're just avid readers. And basically, I sent it to them and said, this is different. It's weird. Let me know if this works or do I just have a hot mess and I need to take all this and go write a novel. And they came back unanimously that the structure was working. And I think part of that is, as the reviewer said, When you just read these interviews, it just lets the character talk. There's nothing to interfere with the character's words. And so you really get to know the characters. I did as I was writing it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. I've read books with like diary entries, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of form, which I guess is almost the same, but not really. They're not talking to you. They're just kind of relaying memories. But that's kind of what I envision. But the interview process... That's a reader's direct line to the characters, so to speak. I love that. Yeah. How long did it take you to go from the conception to print? Because it sounds like there was a lot of work involved in in putting this novel together. There was in some ways, but it was the fastest I've ever written a novel in my life. Really? And I think that was because as I was writing all these interviews, I was planning on taking all that to then turn it into a novel of a standard storytelling structure and then i became obsessed with it i wrote constantly you know it was one of those all day all night write it all down uh so i could figure out what the story was so that i could eventually start writing it um and then i said earlier when i was you know halfway through or a little more than halfway through and i thought maybe i'm onto something here accidentally uh that could work as is as structured interviews So by then, it was mostly written. Mm. Um, So you didn't have to go back like you had planned on and and then write a story. You had your story right there. Right. Because I've spent years writing some novels. um, And this one, I had pretty much the first draft 
not knowing it was going to be you know, the first draft, just thinking it was raw material, but I had the first draft in about three weeks. Wow. So, which wow. I've never written a book that quickly. Now, from there, it took another you know year and a half to get published and went through numerous edits and revisions and that sort of thing. Yeah. But the actual writing, that that's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess there wasn't really a lot of research involved with that since, you know, the characters just kind of laid out the story for you. Right. I did uh, some medical research, you know, as far as his injuries from the car accident and, you know, what the complications and implications of that would be for his life. And I set it in places where I've lived. I had to do a little research like, you know, where is this road that goes around Benbrook Lake in Fort Worth, Texas? Oh, right. Uh, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but it wasn't, you know, it's set in contemporary times, kind of generic contemporary times. I don't set a specific year on it. And so I didn't have to do, you know, historical research. It's, again, it's set in, you know, places I've lived. So I didn't have to research, you know, what life was like in France in the 1800s. Right. Um, that sort of thing. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that Slade becomes an unlikely celebrity through the success of his book and, and movie. And this actually spawns a cult of which he wants nothing to do with. So I was thinking about the research part of the cult aspect. Was there a lot involved with that part of the story? Yeah, actually, there was. I, you know, I did some research into cults that, you know, follow one person and hang on their every word. And, you know, and they're usually, of course, you know, a very, you know, the cult leader wants to be the cult leader. Uh, and so I just kind of turned that upside down and said, what if it just, you know, got out of control and he didn't really want anything to do with that level. Uh, but people would read his books and study them and, and formed book clubs that just studied his books and his sayings and, you know, uh, kind of ascribed scriptural religious connotations to it when that wasn't his intention. Yeah, I find the whole cult thing fascinating, and I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> it surprises me how people can become all wrapped up in that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, so. if you can ima imagine somebody that writes, you know, a, a motivational self-help book, and, you know, half the country decides, you know, he's the Messiah, and we need to study his word yeah and, that, and that's kind of what you have with Slade yeah yeah that's crazy <laughs> would you say most of your novels or all of your novels are they more are they character driven is that your forte yeah that seems to be I didn't plan on that you know always whether in a course I'm teaching or somebody I'm editing I always say a good book has to have great characters involved in a great plot with great writing so it's, it's not an either or but my books tend to be very character driven. Yeah, that's my preference. I know you do have to have a good plot. Otherwise, what's this great character going to do? But <laughs> um, if I can't connect with a character, I don't get really invested in the plot. So, exactly. Yeah. So what was one of the most surprising things you learned while writing this book? There was one really big surprise that I didn't know until I was editing and uh, I'll get into that in just a second. I was going to tell you with the uh, uh, one of the th things that's surprising that I did not learn, and readers ask all the time: uh, Was Slade genuine, or was he manipulating people? Oh, good and, question. Yeah, and I don't know the answer to that. And people say, "Well, you wrote the book; you made up the character in your head. You've got to know this." 
all I know is what I read in the interviews that, yes, I wrote them, <laughs> but um, <laughs> the book kind of leaves that unclear because I don't know. And I decided rather than resolving that, I would just leave it for readers to decide. Now, when I was editing it, I noticed one place where I had, you know, kind of repeated the same thing, had two different characters do the exact same thing. Mm. Early in the book, uh, Slade's wife, when she was just a teenage girl, does something. Many chapters later, Slade does the same thing. And I thought, oh, well, that's repetitive. It's redundant. I don't need that. And then as I kept reading, I kept picking up little clues that Slade had learned so much from his wife. Mm. And that, you know, people say, well, you know, is Slade manipulating his wife? Did he brainwash her? Does he use mind control techniques? Um, the question that came up to me that I learned surprisingly, and again, I don't know the answer to this, was how much of it was the opposite? How much of it was his wife manipulating him? Oh. And I, again, I don't know the answer to that, but there are clues kind of scattered through the whole book that I did not consciously put there. They just showed up and I caught them later. Yeah. Wow. You know, back to what the readers were saying, well, you wrote this, but <laughs> it's a fair question. And, you know, one would assume authors plan out every sentence, but more likely some of the best writing comes from when the characters do the talking. Well, then there's the whole, you know, plotter versus panster preference, but what works best is probably a bit of both. And I've done both ways. I've had where, you know, the story concept kind of comes to me all in one brief moment of inspiration or whatever, uh, where I can sit down and I outline the story from beginning to end. But when I write it, I still let the story go where the story wants to go. And I'll let the characters do things that surprise me. And then I'll decide, you know, do I change my outline or do I just need to pull that, you know, delete that section I just wrote, pull it back to the outline. Uh, I have had other books where it's mainly the character and I just go with the flow and just write and surprise myself and see what happens. And then I may have to, you know, edit, reorganize it and change it up. But, you know, the editing part is the, you know, the nuts and bolts work of it. When the writing is flowing, I always say, just let it flow. Uh, you could fix it later. Right. I think that that is what, um, and you know you work with authors, uh, but to me that is the hardest part, I think, for a new author is just to let things flow, um, mm -hmm. especially if you suffer with perfectionism, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you, can't, uh, you can't fix a blank page. Mm -hmm. you know, just, just write and fix it later. Don't, don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. So what kind of other feedback have you received on Slate? Uh, I think I mentioned to someone else before, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. No book is universally loved, and I understand that. Uh, look up you know, the greatest writer you can think of and, and look on their Amazon reviews, and you will see you know, maybe hundreds of people or thousands of people who hated their book. Mm. So I'm still waiting for that other shoe to drop because so far all the feedback has been very positive. And I'll take it, but I also know that you know, there are going to some these folks out there that just don't connect with the book, and, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't please everyone, and, and you wouldn't want to. You're writing for a specific audience, typically. I, so. Yeah, I, and I'm usually writing for myself. I figure, well, if I like it, some other people will. Um, 
And, and of course, some people won't, and that's, yeah, that's fine. There are, you know, great books out there that I couldn't finish, uh, and, and other people loved them. Right, right, me too, especially some classics. <laughs> yeah, I never did finish Moby Dick. I just never could do it. <laughs> I never finished Little Women, I, and I tried it when I was young, I tried it when I was middle-aged, and I tried it when I was a little older too. So I had three different perspectives, and it just wasn't cutting it for me. Yeah, but, just, did, you know. just didn't connect with you. Yeah, yeah. Now, you mentioned you were in the newspaper business. Yes. What prompted you to leave and actually start writing full-time? Well, I had been in the newspaper business, yeah, basically all my life. I was on the high school newspaper, the college newspaper, and then went straight to work for newspapers after that. Um, but I'd been in long enough, uh, and I'd been writing fiction, and then I'd started editing fiction on the side uh, 15 years ago or more and just had hit a point where a, I think I was done with the newspaper industry. Mm. I was just like, you know, nothing against the industry. They were very good to me. Um, but it's like, I've done that long enough. Uh, I want to write. And I'd also reached an age where I could take early retirement. Mm. And so I was, wasn't that young. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't retire when I was 30, put it that way. <laughs> Although looking back, I sure wish I had, uh, <laughs> although I would have been broke. Right. Now, you mentioned working with other authors as a fiction editor. Do you teach the craft of writing? What do you offer to authors? Well, I, you know, if somebody has a finished novel, I, I'm available as an editor. I've got a handful of writers who are working on a novel, and I am their writing coach and kind of coaching them through the process of mm -hmm. uh, coming up with the right structure for the book and teaching them some writing techniques as they write, which will make for a much easier edit later. Mm -hmm. um, and then I've taught courses. I taught a course online for the Romance Writers of America, even though I'm not a romance writer. Oh. Uh, and I taught a course online for Romance Writers of Australia, even though I'm not Australian. <laughs> um, but right now I'm teaching a, another course in Australia by Zoom. There's two of us, an Australian author and, and writing instructor, Samantha Bond, uh, is in the classroom with the students. And it feels weird to call them students. They're adults. But, <laughs> they're, but they're all working on a novel or memoir or something. Uh, and then I'm connected by Zoom, which is kind of strange because I have to be up at 2.30 in the morning, my time. Oh, that's uh, right. Because what they're like so, sixteen now or fifteen? I don't. Know. They're yeah. It's it's a big time difference. You know, yeah. big big huge time difference yeah. uh, between us. In this coming June, uh, I'm an instructor at the Novel in Progress workshop in uh, Racine, Wisconsin, a week long writers workshop. So I'm always that. teaching something. Yeah, yeah. Now, is this conference, um, this novel in progress, is that open to all writers, or is it a specific writing group? Uh, open to everybody, and you know, there's an application process, and, and you have to be selected. You have to have a either a finished novel or, or something that you're well into. Mm. Um, but it's the novel in progress workshop, and they have different writer retreats and things at different times of the year. Uh, it's... Uh, co-sponsored by the Wisconsin Writers Association, the Chicago Writers Association, and uh, several other groups. They've been around for 10 years, and they're just, they're one of the best in the business. Oh, wow. It's always nice getting together with like-minded fellows 
or gals, I should add. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, writing is such a solitary endeavor that when writers can get together and share their work and critique each other's work and give each other, you know, tips and suggestions and encouragement is is always just an excellent thing. Yeah, it's so uplifting. You know, you kind of feel that you're not alone in the world, you know. <laughs> So. I, I'm not the only person that has characters that won't let them sleep at three in the morning. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So what are your plans for future writing projects? Are you working on anything right now? Yes. I, I always seem to have at least one project going. I'm working on the next novel, which is tentatively titled For What It's Worth. The really short log line for that one is two powerful men, two teenage boys, and a dead girl. Secrets have a way of washing ashore at the most inopportune times. Oh, that sounds interesting. Great. So what stage are you at in the process with this novel? Uh, writing the first draft. Um, I'm probably maybe a third of the way into the first draft. And I know how the story comes out. I just don't know how it gets there yet. Ah, okay. Well, good. Something to look forward to. Now, based on your experience, what would you say is the most important piece of advice you can give to new or aspiring authors? Probably what we have been talking a little bit about is listen to your characters. There's a, a course I teach on writing dialogue, uh, which I've read a lot of manuscripts over the last 15 years from editing clients. And there will be a, you know, a great writer with a great story and really compelling characters. And then the dialogue feels stiff and unnatural and flat. And after years of research and talking to other writers about their process, uh, one of the key things that I've learned uh, is that those who write great dialogue just listen to their characters. They know their characters, they let the characters talk, and they take dictation. You can go back and clean it up later. The ones who struggled with dialogue tended to, you know, they have a scene, they've got the characters in it, they know what that scene has to accomplish, and so then they write lines of dialogue that they need their characters to say. And then hand those lines of dialogue to the characters, and like, you know, here, read this. Uh, and so it doesn't come out in the character's voice. Oh. And it doesn't come out naturally. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And I've heard it said that you should read it out loud to see if it sounds natural. Do you think that is helpful? Yes, very. I always recommend read it out loud and read it just the dialogue lines leave out all the narration the dialogue tags and all that just read your dialogue out loud and hear how it sounds when you speak it some writers i haven't done this but i might use voice software on their computer to read the dialogue back to them oh. uh, while they follow along and they can see where something isn't right uh, or just enlist a friend who owes you a huge favor <laughs> and have them read the dialogue with you while you kind of follow along and you can see where there's a missing word where something doesn't sound right it doesn't sound like that's not how the character would say that or you can see where your friend reading changes it without even realizing they're changing it just to make it more natural oh yeah yeah that's a great tip yeah and th and that works for the entire editing process if you can read it out loud you know yeah absolutely Another tip I found for, you know, for catching those weird little errors that slip in is to print it out in a different font. For some reason, the brain might be more likely to spot that error or missing word or the wrong word 
if you're reading it in a different font than what you've ever read it in. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's a good tip as well. Yeah. Oh, good. Learning lots of new things today. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, Rob, is there anything else you wanted to add today? No, I can't think of anything else other than, you know, go buy my books. (laughs) (laughs) But I I do really want to, you know, thank Reader Views uh, and the Feathered Quill Awards. uh, That It's always, you know, such validation when people in the industry recognize one of your books. Uh, also a bit humbling. Like, was it really that good? I don't think so. It's just me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, Rob, uh, thank you so much for joining me today. It, it's really been an honor to learn more about you and your work. Thank okay. you. Well, th- well, thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for joining me today for my interview with Rob Grindstaff, author of Slade. To learn more about Rob and his work, visit robgrindstaff.com. And be sure and check out our other interviews on InsideScoopLive.com.